The views and opinions expressed in the following episodes are those of the individuals and are not meant to insult or offend anyone. Jeez, dark and gloomy much? Are you trying to be an edgelord? Well, then how should I put it then? I don't know. How about... We come in peace. We mean no harm. We may spoil some things. We may swear a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So listener discretion is advised. Welcome to another episode of Little Nerdy. I'm your host, Michelle. And I'm our co-host, Owen. And today our episode is about World War II. And that's a pretty big war. So big it had to be named twice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, not uh, to make light of it or anything. So first let's start off by paying our respects to our friend at Black White Check for doing the in- original intro and outro music for our channel. Yes, we thank them very much. And you can find the... Uh, not a link, but just, I will type out <laughs> the description. Well, in the descriptions, I'll type out, uh, their website and then you guys can just like copy and paste it or whatever to go check it out. Yeah. And if you want to check them out now, you can check them out at www.blackwhitecheck.com. Yes. And see what other kind of original work they've done. Absolutely. All right. So let's get to... Because we've already yeah, because we've already talked about World War One and the significance of that war. Yes. So that ended in 1918. Yes. Long, long time ago, 102 years ago to the day, almost. Almost. I. So I screwed up, and we were actually going to kind of talk about World War Two for Remembrance Day. Yeah. But when I was looking at the calendar, I was a week behind. Hmm. And so Owen gave me a weird look when I was like, "Well." We'll do the Eunice Honest episode, and then we'll do the World War Two episode. And he kind of gave me a look, but was like, oh, okay, sure, like, if that's how you want to roll. And stuff, not realizing that the reason I said that is because I was mistaken about... I thought Remembrance... I was a week behind, so I thought Remembrance Day was this Wednesday. Until, obviously, we posted the Eunice Honest episode last week. And then, like... All of a sudden, all like the internet blew up with Remembrance Day ceremonies being canceled, um, online virtual Remembrance Day uh, ceremonies for like the next day, and I was like, oh, I messed up. But we definitely didn't want to snub or be like, ah, well, we'll just do a remember, like we'll just do a Remembrance Day episode like next year, because um, I think the backbone of our country is built on our older generations. Yep, and the sacrifices they had to make. Absolutely. For us to have the freedoms that we have. And not a day goes by that I'm not thankful for that. And I know not a day goes by that you're not thankful for that. So I feel that we absolutely need to honor and respect our veterans. And I'm talking all veterans across all wars. I know that we are just... And all the men and women who have lost their lives in war. I know... today's episode specifically is on World War II, but we are not forgetting 
Every other war. Every other war that was fought. In the name of freedom and for our country. Yeah. And stuff. So, just so you guys know that. But it's... You can't pack all the wars in one one-hour episode. No. That is absolutely impossible. That would be, and it, I think, a slap in the face to a lot of people. Yeah. So, so we want to kind of cover the more... In-depth. I mean, and you know, like I know when we did the World War One, we touched mainly on the history of it. I know that we plan to go back and do one because I'm more of the big nerd when it comes to the history. Yep. But you're more of the big nerd when it comes to like the artillery or... The aircraft the machinery the weaponry yeah you're more the big nerd and we'll that de- we're definitely planning on going back and doing episodes on that for sure um but anyways yeah. so let us continue onwards yes. and uh <clears throat> so obviously where we were talking about with world war one is that the end of the war happened um there was the treaty of versailles yep <clears throat> and then there was the league of nations yep which was supposed to be kind of like a world body of like governments coming together, working together to try to prevent any large-scale wars that happened, like the one that they witnessed, because any wars before this that had been fought with like any other type of firearms and any amount of soldiers and everything, even if they lasted like the seven-year war between England and France, um, the destruction and loss of life does not compare to what World War One demonstrated. Yes. So, moving on from there, they ha- they created that. Yeah, so they created the League of Nations, right. But also, the most important thing I think that happened at the end of World War One was the Treaty of Versailles. Right. And that's where, like, the big powers, allied powers from World uh, War One. Yep. So, France... Um... England. England, America. Canada. No, Canada, well, it wasn't considered a big power. Russia, or the Soviet Union, now as it was known. Yeah, I think there was four, wasn't there? Yep. Yeah, those four big powers, I believe. Yep. Came together, and they were like... Was Russia a part of that? Yeah. yeah. No, they they were part of it. Like, they may not have gotten everything that they wanted after at the end of the war. Right. But they did, like... You know, kind of like we're part of the the grouping that we're like, let's pin Germany and okay, you know, make them pay for everything. So of course, yeah, the bill for all the everything that was expended on this war was put into the was given to Germany and was like, hey, pay this off. Yeah, so they were given essentially the bill for a war that they did not start. Right, Um, they were given that bill. They were also had they were broken up. Essentially, yes. their country was broken up. Um, that's when, like, Poland, I believe, first kind of came into... Was it Poland? Israel. No, um... Yeah, there's there's a lot of, like, territorial disputes. There was a... And... Well, yeah. Like, even to the point where, like, my grandpa was from Romania. Yep. But we... I mean, he was from Romania. But borders switched so much that at one point he was considered to be, like... German, and then not, because... I mean, I would honestly love to see, like, a slideshow of, like, Europe European maps from, like, 1900 to 1945 or whatever, just seeing how <clears throat> the borderlines of countries shifted and changed yeah. because of 
places going to wars or, you know, new mm-hmm. treaties being signed and all this stuff, like yeah. lands be, land being given and taken. But yeah, so they took tons of land away from Germany. Also, they told Germany that they were only allowed to have, like, a very small army. Yeah, very small I army. I think a thousand men or something. Very, yeah, something. And they were not allowed to recruit. They were not allowed to have an air force. They were not allowed to do anything to better their army. Yep. They were basically all. told to be um, this very, like, the, the most weakest army nation in all of Europe. Yeah. Because they were a very powerful threat for how little they had in armament. Yeah. Like, they fought hard and they, you know, the Battle of Imi Ridge and all that stuff, like, all those battles that they fought in World War One. They proved themselves to be a very capable nation and a very. Well, we won Vimy Ridge, though. We yeah, Canadians yeah. won Vimy Ridge, but it's still like it was, was a hard battle. Yeah, and it, we lost, I believe, a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of men died trying to take Vimy Ridge. Not like French, uh, British, and all, Canadian. Yeah. All Allied forces. Yeah, yeah, all Allied forces on the west. Yeah. So, um, understandably so. The German people... Were a little pissed. Yeah. They were, like, really... I mean, they felt essentially demoralized, and that was what the point of the Treaty of Versailles was. But things got very, very bad there. Like, a loaf of bread was, like, $500. Yeah, people were emptying out their their life savings to try to feed their families. Yeah. So then, of course, what... I mean, then the Allied nations, especially America... Decided that they would give Germany loans. Yeah. Right, to try and, like, to help them bail them out, and they're trying to help them, right? But when the Great Depression hit... Yeah, the dirty 30s. Yeah. Then the Americans wanted their money back. Mm-hmm. Right. And stuff, so... And we're not talking, like, oh, a few hundred dollars or whatever. We're talking a lot of money. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> essentially, this bread in Germany... The right climate for Hitler to come along. Yeah. Adolf Hitler. Yes. And probably one of the angriest men in history history ever to be known. And he actually tried to take political power a few times by actually becoming a political um, representative. Yeah. And And he got arrested and everything. Yeah, in 1926, he tried, I believe it was 1926, he actually tried his first coup. Mm-hmm. over the government and failed miserably and ended up in jail. And that's actually when he wrote Mein Kampf, yeah. a book I've never read. I've been interested to read it only because I'm like, how? How did people read this book and go, <coughs> that's the kind of guy we need in charge? Right. And stuff. Um, and the uh, German to English translation of Mein Kampf is My Struggle. Yeah. And stuff. And it's very... Whatever. But yeah, so Adolf Hitler, he was actually born in Austria. Yeah. Right. And stuff. And he did, he was in World War One. He was in the trenches in World War One. I. I believe he either almost got shot or did get shot. He did get shot, but it wasn't like anything severe. It was like maybe just like a, a minor wound kind of thing. Nothing debilitating. So I don't wish usually bad things on anyone, but that's really too bad that that didn't kill him then. Yep. Um, who knows how history would have played out. Yeah, well... Yeah, but anyways... Millions of people would still be alive if that yeah. had happened. But anyway, so... He... 
he actually was sent in by the German army to these... They weren't called the Nazis at the time or the socialists, but I think they were just called the socialists. But he went in to actually kind of spy, right? Mm -hmm. And turned out to really like what they were saying. And I guess he was just angry and charismatic enough yeah. that people listened to him, right? I believe they were called the Workers' Party. Maybe it was the Workers' Party there, and, and then they changed to the Socialist Workers' Party because <clears throat> we say Nazi, but it was actually the Socialist yeah, Workers' the, Party. Yeah, the names can change all the time. Well, no, it was just it, uh, when you translate it, it, the acronym spells Nazi. That's why we call them the Nazis. Yeah. Right. So. And stuff, but... Yeah, he actually ends up... Be, Becoming quite powerful. Um, he unites Germany. Like, he actually... Like, here's the thing, though. He, well, uh, he takes power, essentially, is what he does, right? He did. And then there was, like, the Night of the Long Knife, where he uh, imprisoned or killed polit uh, political opposition to him gaining power. So his rise to power was not a, you know, like, easy transfer of power or anything. Mm -hmm. Like, he did some horrible things. Mm -hmm. But also... Kind of like the only thing I will give him, and this is like a very small sliver of credit kind of thing, is that he took Germany from a completely downtrodden, worst depression that country's probably ever seen in its history of existing, even back when it was called Prussia. And he was able to get it back up on its feet, up and becoming like, you know, a country that was deserving of some respect. But what happened afterwards completely undermined everything there. Mm-hmm. And that's Be when we start getting into the really dark, dirty stuff. Yeah, because essentially he was able, like you said, to bring the economy up. Also, in hiding, he was essentially able to create the... I always have trouble saying it, so if I mispronounce it, I apologize. Luftwaffe? Uh, the Luftwaffe was uh, the... The Air Force. Yes. Right. Luft means air in Germany, and Waffe, I believe, means force. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm not mistaken. I believe you're right. Um, but they actually had a little uh, interesting uh, little thing about that, was that the Luftwaffe was actually, when they were first building their bombers, uh, all the other allied nations were kind of going, what do you need these planes for? And they were saying that, yeah, they were um, cargo Tra delivery planes. Yeah, transport planes. Yeah, like they're meant to carry parcels and stuff like that from one place to another. Faster and more reliable than trucks because of all the mountainous trains. Mm -hmm. And so that everyone was like, oh, well, that makes sense. You need planes to move cargo around. Yeah. What they didn't know is that with a couple retrofittings and stuff like that, these cargo planes would be turned into bombers. Yeah. So they built up the Air Force. They built up their army. In secret. Absolutely. And stuff. So by the time they were willing, or ready, I guess, to, they just started walking into countries. Yep. And not every country that they went into did they just walk in and take it, but they did just walk in and take, well, some of them, because they wanted to rejoin with Germany, right? That's why a lot of the like the uh, League of Nations were like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And they're like, they're, they used to be part of us. They want to become part of, you know, Germany again. Yeah. And the guys were like, yeah, we, you know, we want to be part of the home, the motherland, or kind of or the fatherland. And so, of course, they were like, all right, well, if that's what you guys want, it's not really our place to stop you from that, so you can be one nation again. 
Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And, yeah, so, but then one of the times when they actually, yeah, Hitler sent in the army to walk in and take a country, he actually told them not to fire a single bullet. If anything go- happens, you guys run. And they walked in, and it was like they were saying one of the most tense moments for early Hitler and everything, and, yeah, it was like it all went off without a hitch. It all went smooth, but they were saying that he was quite stressed out about that. Yeah, and so while he's doing this, Right. The British and the Americans yep. are not happy about it. And they have meetings with him. And the British Prime Minister at the time... Right. So, as this, like I was saying, as this goes on, um, Neville Chamberlain... Uh, the British Prime Minister in uh, the UK at the time. Yes. And Franklin D. Roosevelt. Uh, yep. Or no, yeah, that was yeah, that was him at the time because he was thirty eight to forty five. Five, yeah, yeah. Um, they were kind of meeting and stuff, and Neville Chamberlain, he had essentially this appeasement thing going on. They didn't want to fight another war. America was meeting and being like, ah, maybe don't do this, but they weren't interested in fighting another war, especially another European war. Right. Yeah. Neville Chamberlain knew that Britain was not uh, really, they didn't want to fight another war. They weren't really in a position to fight another war at that time. Right. No, the Depression had not hit them as hard, but it was, st- I mean, it was still not great. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? So. Their economy he, wasn't booming. Yeah. So he was going with like the appeasement route, which was like, okay, Hitler, but don't you dare enter. Poland. Poland, because if you enter Poland, then there's going to be trouble, right? So he flies back to, like, the UK, and he's barely landed on the ground, and he's like, I did it! I stopped the next war! This paper here, signed by Hitler, said he won't enter Poland. September 1st, 1939. Hitler entered Poland. Hitler sends his army to enter in Poland. Yes. And when word of that gets out, September 3rd, 1939, World War II has started. Yeah. Yeah, Britain declared war. Yes. And that... And so did France, didn't they? Yes, because they were allies, like, they fought together in the last uh, World War, or the Great War, as they called it, and... Because they didn't think, like, when it's called World War I, like, back then, it was just the Great War. It was the Great War, because they kind of didn't think there would ever be another war that big, right? Yeah, they didn't think that uh, there would be something that catastrophic or atrocious uh, kind of thing. Little did they know, you know, like what, almost less than 20 years later? It was about 21 years later, uh, when war was declared. Yeah, 21 years. Yeah. So, you know, 21 years later, uh, the next war starts, and um, it didn't really go start off the way everyone thought it would, being that uh, the <clears throat> when everybody was getting ready to fight, the British and French forces, when they knew that Ger- uh, the Germans were coming for them, they prepared a strong trench-style warfare, just like they had the last war, and were like, we are going to hold this line, we are going to stop them dead in their tracks. But what they didn't know was that the Germans had gone, let's fight better than the last war. Let's 
completely outdate trench-style warfare systems. Well, yeah, and they had, I mean, they had, in building their army, they had already planned that long ahead. So they came into World War II better prepared, better equipped, with better equipment. But they were still, by most of the European nations, not considered a strong fighting force in all of Europe. Right. And stuff, but that, that was, I mean, France showed up on fucking horses. Yeah. Right. And Germany re responded with, with tanks. Like, it was... Completely... Night and day difference, right? Oh, yeah. And stuff. But another thing that Germany did is they actually kind of became allies with Russia. Uh, yeah, there was an uneasy truce between them because yes. Hitler gave Russia half of Poland. Yeah, they were like, we won't go past this line, you don't come past this line, and we'll be friends because they didn't want to fight two friends. Yeah. Hitler knew that splitting his army up would be not ideal. Yeah, and also Stalin, even though having such a large um, country under his rule, he knew that he wasn't quite, like, they, they didn't have, they had the manpower, but they didn't have the firearms, they didn't have tanks and planes available to be uh, an effective combat force without heavy losses against an army that had developed a military machine like Germany was working on. Exactly. So right. even though Germany was much smaller, they were more progressed in their technology. But or, because Hitler was a psychopath. <laughs> sorry. Yep. No, no, no. I'm laughing because <laughs> like there, that is not even like a shadow of a doubt to that one. Um, his treaty was not long lived with Russia, because he sent his troops farther through Poland than what was agreed upon. So then Hitler was like, "Well, fuck you. I declare war." Yeah, because here was the thing, is that uh, Hitler was a very time-chart-orientated kind of guy. He was going, okay, we're going to enter this country, we're going to take over it, and blah, blah, blah. Like, he had everything planned on an agenda, to the T, like, everything went as how, how, how he kind of planned it. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> he actually was very organized in that regard. Mm-hmm. So when he started attacking France, sure, it didn't go off the way they thought. They called it kind of like the French and British forces were calling it the funny war or the fake war kind of thing because, you know, Germany wasn't attacking them when they thought they would and they were kind of goofing around like thinking, oh, this is, uh, you know, just like whatever. These like Germans think that they can come in and attack us. Well, we were two of the most powerful nations in Europe. And what's Germany going to do? Well, Germany gave them one heck of a spanking kind of thing and, you know, showed them that, uh, you know, a change of tactics can be night and day difference. Mm -hmm. And the Blitz, that's when the, you know, the Blitzkrieg, yeah. and Blitzkrieg is known as lightning warfare. It's like, you know, these guys had all these guns and stuff, but it doesn't matter what you're kind of doing. If a tank is driving up at you, you know, 40, 50 miles an hour... You shoot at it with your rifle, okay, cool, but, you know, your artillery that's meant to hit the tank, you know, misses the tank because it wasn't where it was half a second ago, so the tanks are just completely doing circles around them and just making it impossible to fight the war on their terms. The Germans were fighting it on their terms. So that all went down, but then when it came to attacking England across the channel, 
the British naval force was so well built and so ready to fight and everything that when they actually managed to get their th tens of thousands of troops out of Dunkirk, which was a really great movie if uh, anyone hasn't seen it, it's one where even though Britain had uh, had to retreat from the mainland, that the people greeted the soldiers that came back alive with a hero's welcome because even though they, they'd been, you know, defeated and demoralized, they knew that they came home and saw, you know, their friends and families and, and country fellow countrymen and thought, we got to keep fighting. Like, this war is not over. We're not done. We're not, like, we got defeated, but we haven't lost. Yeah. So then began the air battle. And that's when things did not go as well for the Germans as they thought because the British developed the radar system. They were able to get the warning and counter uh, counterfight uh, any of the German air forces that were coming. It wasn't a one-sided battle for the British. They suffered horrible losses. There was nighttime bombing raids and stuff like that. Yeah. Horrible things that happened. But in the total end result of it all was that Britain was not falling to Hitler's time schedule. And that pissed him off, but he was like, all right, well, you know, if you're, like, his one general that was fighting it told him, oh, no, it's going great, it's going great, you know, don't, don't look at the numbers, trust me, it's going well. And he's like, all right, this guy says it's going well. Now, take half of our forces and go and attack that Stalin, or Stalin guy. Yeah. And the generals were like, um, what? So they were kind of, you know, baffled. And this is actually in history's term when General or Hitler's generals had decided, like, because they knew that they couldn't attack England and America and Canada and divide half their forces and attack Russia. That would, they couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, and we should make clear that when Britain declared war, Canada was immediately brought into the war because we're part of the Commonwealth. Yep, and we were kind of like their allies, like we weren't uh, how the Americans were, like to us, we were, you know, very strong friends with them up until, like, uh, you know, like, even to this day. Yeah. Very well, strong. we're still a part of their commonwealth, their queen is our queen. Right? Yes. And stuff. Um, but Italy took Germany's side. Yes. In the war. Yep, and so did Japan. And so did Japan. So... Italy, so it was Italy, Germany, Japan. Yep. Against Britain, France, France. and Russia. Uh, essentially, yes, at the very beginning, or close to the very beginning, and that. But of course, Canada was backing up uh, England the whole time. Britain, yeah. Or yeah, Britain the whole time, and of course. Um, the Americans in this part of the war, they were trying to remain neutral. Yep. Because they didn't want to get involved with another European war like you were talking about. And yep. But then when Canada and Britain and, and whoever else was saying, well, you're supplying oil to the Japanese and they're attacking China and helping Russia, all these things that are going not on. Not Russia. Well, or no, not Russia, sorry, never mind, no, not Russia. But, you know, they're attacking, like, you know... China. Your your friend like your trade partner is attacking your friends. So if you're really our friend, you'll stop supplying them with oil. Yeah. So then there was the oil embargo. Yes, and that was a like it became a case of not a matter of if, but a matter of when Japan would attack um, the Americans. Right, and I just want to say too, 
that it was shortly after Neville Chamberlain's bungle, if you will, yeah, with Hitler, that he was actually replaced as prime minister. That's the nice way of putting it. Yeah, there's um, uh, a lot more colorful words that I'm sure a lot of British people would have back in those times about... He just lost a lot of confidence is what happened. Yeah. Right, people were not confident that he would be able to lead this war. And so they brought in a former prime minister and a guy who was known for his military aptness, if you will, um, Winston Churchill. Yeah. And so by the time, I believe it was by the time England was being bombed, Winston Churchill was in yep. office already. Yep, he was the one who gave the famous speech about the, <clears throat> we will fight in, on the shores, we will fight on the beaches, uh, but you know, no matter how bad things get, we will not give up this fight. Yeah. He told the people that things are going to get rough, things will be rough for a while, but it's our resolve <clears throat> to protect our country and our freedoms from this oncoming oppressor that we will never surrender to. Yes. It's, now... Sorry? Oh, sorry, I just Go. wanted to say, like, the thing that you got to admit that's really impressive is that, you know, you're looking at the maw of this just bloodthirsty machine that's, you know, chewing up the entire European countryside, mm -hmm. and England just stands there and goes, no, not an inch further, you know, you are not taking us. And that is really commendable because, like, you got to think of how scary it would have been. Like, when you hear those air raid sirens going off, you know bombs are coming. Yeah. So it, it, must, it must have been a horrifying time. But because Winston, you know, got the people prepared and they built bomb shelters and they stocked up uh, provisions and stuff like that. Well, and he had a regulation put forth or a, I don't know if it was a bylaw maybe or just a law that after a certain time... You no weren't lights. allowed to have any lights? Yep, so this way it was harder for the bo night bombers to see where the cities were. Yep. Less likely to hit vital tactical areas. Yeah, and less likely to hopefully kill as many people. Right. Yeah. And stuff. Um, so while all this fighting is going on, obviously we can't ignore what was happening in Germany, Poland, Lip Lithuania, yep. all those places. Um, which was the Holocaust. Yes. And I honestly don't even know where to start. Um, Hitler was very <clears throat> fucking racist, is the best way to put it. Yep. He thought that the Germans were the superior race. He thought that everybody needed to be Aryan, and his form of Aryan was... Blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white skin. Yes. And stuff. So, he also, in a lot of his stupid, shitty rhetoric, was saying that the Jewish people were the cause for their financial difficulties, which was not the case. It was the Treaty of Versailles. But, I guess, rather than villainize that, he chose to villainize a group of people who had done nothing wrong. Um... In, well, you know, target the minority. Yeah, and stuff. So, <clears throat> first it started with taking away their rights. Yep. Stripping <clears throat> the rights of the Jewish people. Yep. Then it started with the laws 
on what, first off, what constituted a Jewish person. Because they weren't talking about religion. They were talking about people who were, like, ethnic. Ethnically. Thank you. I have a trouble with that word. I apologize. Um, born Jewish. Right. And stuff. And so, you know, he had lawyers come in and write these race laws. Right. And they were, like, the stupidest ever. Because it was like, if, for example, if someone was Jewish and they married a non-Jewish person and they had children, the children would be Jewish. Yeah. Right. And if they had a grandparent that was... You know, like, it was just, it was messed up. Like, if your fourth grandfather three times removed or something... Was Jewish. Was Jewish, Jewish. You were Jewish. Right? And stuff, because it was just their way of getting... It was an ethnic cleansing. Yeah. And stuff. And at one point, I know they did try to deport some Jewish people. But but no nation in... No nation would take them. Like, some nations took... The refugees. The refugees, some of them. But then some got turned away. And that's really sad because when they got turned away, they got sent back. Mm-hmm. Right. But then he started opening ghettos. Yep. And essentially, the SS yep. would come through. And if you didn't have your uh, armband on that symbolized that you were Jewish heritage... Yeah. Oh, you were in for a beating. Well, and they would just come through and round people up and take them to the ghettos. Yeah. Right. But then Hitler held, well, he didn't even hold the meeting. He had his top advisors hold a meeting. And we actually, I own a movie that's called Conspiracy, which is a very interesting, it's it's not action-packed, it's not anything. It is literally... The meeting with the transcript of... Yes, uh, one of the guys was killed. One of the head guys from Hitler's entourage was killed. He didn't destroy the transcripts from the meeting, so therefore the transcripts are known. And it was made into a movie where you essentially see the hour and a half long meeting, or 45 minute me- long meeting, however long it was, a meeting in which... The final solution was discussed and agreed upon. Yeah, and the final solution was very gut-wrenching, like, just It was genocide. Yeah. So, that whole situation happened there. And then, on top of that, because we... The Holocaust is obviously one of the most important things that happened during World War II. One of the most devastating things that happened, like, six million Jewish people were... Murdered. Yeah. Right. But they were also dabbling in eugenics. They were dabbling in... um, Like, um, experiments. Yeah, there was a doctor, uh, a German doctor. I can't remember what his name was, but when I was in high school, I remember hearing about him, and he was known as the Angel of Death. Mm -hmm. Because he actually... Mengele. Mengele, thank you. And he actually tried an experiment that was very disgusting to me, even to this day still, where he sewed two twins together to see how long they could live. Yep. And 
one of the, my classmates asked uh, the question to the teacher was, um, was any of his experiments ever used to, um, <clears throat> trying to find the right words here, to progress medical science? No. Exactly. It, there was nothing that he did that was actually medically advantageous in any way. Yeah. And I don't think even if there was anything medically advantageous <laughs> that people would have felt comfortable even like, you know, hum humming and hawing over. Yeah. <clears throat> but anyways. Yeah, so he, and he was, and I watched a documentary, this was quite a while back, where they had survivors of, I mean, the Holocaust, because it was usually Jewish people that he was doing these experiments on, if not always. And <clears throat> so it would essentially be one of two twins, yep. right? That they were interviewing in these in this documentary because the other one died because, like he would do things like, um, sever limbs and stuff like that. Sever limbs, or he would inject like one with smallpox and another one with like, some other disease and see, which one would survive. Or he would do both of them with smallpox and then give this one this treatment, and this one this treatment, right to see. And it wasn't to better science, it was literally to torture them because what he was giving them to quote-unquote cure it was not meant to cure it, it was just meant to be like another disease on top of it. Just, you know... What poison is, on top of poison. Yeah, and stuff like it was just terrible. Um, <clears throat> and so, stuff. So, that's going on. Right. And we don't want to minimize it by any means, but we could literally finish off this episode talking about the atrocities of the Holocaust. Yes, and there's more to the war. We may do an episode just on the Holocaust. Yep. Um that's a dark, 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 dark topic and even just this little bit of talking about it is dark. So uh we will do that, but we will do that in the future. And I um, will admit one movie that really did touch on the Holocaust in a very respectful way by Steven Spielberg. Yes. That I highly recommend everybody watch. If you uh, haven't already. Yeah. And um, like that movie, it parts made me cry, um, was called Schindler's List. At yes. the very end, if you have a dry eye, I mean, I don't know what it would take to make someone cry. Yeah. And it honestly is very respectful. I watch it once a year because I'm of the opinion, like... The victims should be remembered more than the perpetrators. Absolutely. And I'm also of the opinion that um, you're doomed to repeat your history if you, like, kind of forget it, right? Yeah, the classic saying, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Exactly, and stuff. So out of respect for everything that went on, I do um, watch that once a year. I also, when I owned the book, I don't own it anymore. I don't know what happened to it. I would like to get another copy of it. I used to always read... The Diary of Anne Frank as well, once a year. Mm. Um, but <clears throat> we're going to move on from the Holocaust. Um, so let's talk about, let's go back to America being yes. the neutral nation that was not being, like they were sending, they were actually doing a lend-lease program to the British forces yeah. and they were supplying oil to the Japanese. So they were kind of being this like... Both sides. They yeah. were helping both sides, scratching yeah. their backs. Yeah, they were kind of like, you know, lining their pockets a little bit, and a lot of people were not uh, very happy with this. Yeah. So, 
um, the Lend-Lease program was their way of supplying like military, military hardware and ammunition and stuff like that. To, without sending actually having to send people over. Yeah, even though there were some Americans that actually went up to Canada and oh, joined yeah. up with us to help us fight against... Um, you know, the Nazis and Absolutely. And especially like yeah, and stuff, but they that's just it. They came up to Canada and they enrolled in the Canadian Armed Forces and stuff because America was not doing it. They were yeah. not fighting, they were not declaring war. That changed on what was it? Um December seventh? Yep, nineteen forty two. Nineteen forty five, I believe. No. no. All right, well we just looked it up because we couldn't quite remember because, well, we're human and shit happens. Yeah, we are fallible. Um, December 7th, 1941. Uh, oh, I should have known that because that was all, that was in Franklin D. Roosevelt's speech. Yeah, nine, December 7th, 1941 is, is a, a day that will live in infamy. Yep. And that is the day that Pearl Harbor was bombed by yep. the Japanese. Yep. And... That Now, here's the thing that was so pivotal about the Japanese attacking Pearl Harbor. It was the most tactical or tactically well-pulled-off um, attack by the Japanese forces ever in history. Yeah, they used kamikazes, didn't they? Nope. Nope. They used torpedoes that actually had a propeller fin-type thing on them that made them skim across the surface of the water mm-hmm. and allowed them to get into the harbor and hit the... Uh, battleships that were considered safe because the water was too shallow for a torpedo that normally cruises at a certain depth mm. to go in, and they bombed the crap out of them. They airdropped like bombs that go straight through the hull, the top of the hull of a thing. Yeah, like there there were so many things well pulled off, and there were so many blunders by the Americans of the time because they thought that there was a test flight going on. So they did they when they first had their radar, they thought. Oh, it's just these guys test flying out there. Don't worry about them and stuff. Yeah. There were just so many things that went wrong for the Americans at that time. And the Japanese tactically pulled off this attack and this bombing so well that it was just a complete kick to the teeth in the Americans. Like, this was devastating. Yeah. They lost so much of their military hardware and their defensive and their offensive capabilities. Yeah. My parents actually went to Hawaii a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and they got to tour on the, I haven't been there. So I'm not the USS Arizona. Is that Arizona. Yep. That you can tour. Yep. I actually have been on that tour myself. Yeah. And like, so you would know then yep. like my I dad said the... that you have to watch a video. Yep. You're only allowed on certain parts. Yep. Right. You have to be very respectful because it's a graveyard. It is. Right. And it's a it's essentially a tombstone yes. for those who died in the bombing, and and you can still see the oil. Yep, little like the, the with the amount the gallons upon gallons of oil that were in that thing, and it's leaking out just droplets at a time. Yeah, but it's still to this day leaking oil. Yeah, but anyways, uh, that that monument there or the tombstone, whatever you would like to call it, uh, to the fallen of the bombing and everything there. The thing was is that um, once Japan pulled out because they were like, hey, we completely destroyed all of these. Yeah. But the like, there's a saying uh, that I believe the Japanese had was they awoken a sleeping giant. Yeah. They knew that the Americans had the industrial power to rebuild. They just didn't know how fast. So this was going to be like they were going to be facing an uphill battle. 
Yeah. And, and Hitler was actually, my understanding was Hitler was pissed. He actually told them not to go after America because he didn't want another ally in the war, especially one as powerful as America. Sorry, I'm opening a Pepsi. A yeah. di- Diet Pepsi, if anyone's wondering what that noise was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, Someone's a little thirsty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, dry in here. But um, yeah, he didn't. He didn't want another um, ally to be helping the British and stuff, right? Yeah. So he was pissed about that, and the thing that really made that. But here's the thing: tactically, that bombing was almost considered flawless, but strategically, it was the biggest blunder that the Japanese could have done. Yeah. Because that made the Americans enter the war in Europe. It made them start fighting a war against the Japanese. And the Japanese, even though, like, you know, of course, the Americans had a huge uphill, like, battle of their own to rebuild their naval force, do this island hopping and everything like that. They had people ready to go in and fight. And they, you know, like, yeah, it was the case of, you know, that just because something, you know, it, it's that uh, quantity over quality. And the Americans at first had... Uh, just, quality. No, Japanese actually had quality soldiers, and they had the more advanced. Um, yeah, but after Pearl airplanes. Harbor. After Pearl Harbor, the Mustangs were coming out, or somewhere around that time period, uh, their carriers were being rebuilt, their battle yeah. cruisers were being uh, repaired and stuff. So literally, to the Japanese, sometimes these ships looked like ghosts because yeah. they were like, "We blew that up. It was you know destroyed at Pearl Harbor, and here it is firing at them." Yeah. So it was completely horrifying to them to see that the Americans had come back with such vim and vigor and just determined to like hey you you shot at us you hurt us you gave us a bloody nose you know essentially in the eyes in the view of like a nation but i mean a lot of people died in that attack yeah i think it was something around over two thousand people died an atrocious number and especially with a sneak attack and they were like all right it's on yeah be you know you you woke a sleeping giant well and that's the thing and so america sent um, troops to all fronts. Yes. And they also did something that we have seen time and time again in history, and they're not the only country that has done it, but they took it out on Japanese that were living in their country. Yes. they The, the Germans were not the only ones to prosecute and, um, <clears throat> go, uh, you know, start doing th- awful things to... I people mean, living in their country. Let's be clear, the Americans were not gassing no. Japanese people, but they did open internment camps. They did take all of their belongings and their households and throw them in these camps, yeah. right? And I good, actually, uh, not good. I don't know if that's the right term, but um, someone who lived through it and understood it was actually. Um, and I suggest, I'm not sure if he has a book, but I know he has talked about it. So if you can find articles on it, is George Takai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he was... A kid. Yeah, he was a kid during the time. And he also, um, if you recognize the name or don't, he was on the original Star Trek. He was uh, Mr. Sulu. Yes, on the TV show. The same one that William Shatner and... Leonard Nimoy were on. So I definitely... It gives you an idea. Also, I know in... uh, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan... Yep. There's actually... They have um, two tunnels that you can tour 
One is Al Capone. Yeah, Moose Jaw is a city in Saskatchewan, for those who aren't aware of Canadian cities. Yeah, sorry. Um, uh, we have some really weird named cities <laughs> out, out here in uh, Canada, like Moose Jaw, uh, Halifax, um, Red Deer. Pilot Butte. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there there's some... Nanaimo. Yep. Yeah. Not just the Nanaimo Bar, it's an actual city. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, one of them was Al Capone's, like, alcohol during the Prohibition running... Uh, alcohol from the U.S. And, and whatever. But the other one, and it's the one that me and my family went to, um, was the underground tunnels for the Japanese internment camps. And it was very interesting, very informative, and an experience that I'm glad that we were able to go and experience because... Although I wish that had never happened in history, it gave us a chance to understand better what that was, because, like, my dad wasn't even alive when that happened, right? Yeah. So all we had to go off of ever hearing about that were books and stuff, right? So it it just was something that was very eye-opening. Yeah. And, and they have actors that go around, and, like, they treated us... Like, you knew it was coming. They explained what was going to happen. But they did. They treated us as if we were Japanese people who had shown up there mm -hmm. and were being endured and whatever. Yeah. And stuff. Like, there was, I mean, nobody got hurt, but, you know, it was, it was scary, like, to See, feel that way. Yeah. And so, obviously, like, Canada, the U.S., like, because we were worried about the Japanese, because, like... Pearl Harbor falling was kind of an indication that, like, the Japanese got to there undetected and were able to bomb that hard. And it was... How far could they get in North America? Well, yeah, and that was the first time where, during one of these big wars, right, that North America had been attacked on their soil. Yes. And so it scared North America, right? Because, like you said, how far inland can they get? Yeah, because, right. like, if they hit that small island... There's a large amount of water between Hawaii and North America that those ships could go any which way they wanted. Yeah. And who knows where they pop up and start attacking. Absolutely. So once America joined the war, it became kind of a turning tide in the war. Yeah, it was. It, that's where a floodgate opened up. And, and I believe it was, it was before Japan. Um, so... Um, now, when, uh, the Americans joined up with the British and Canadians to attack, uh, the Germans over in Europe, they, they had the, the most pivotal moment known as D-Day, which was when the American, like everybody, like they were getting the big force ready to come in and attack the, uh, Germans on the Western front of Europe. The thing was is that the uh, Germans at first thought that the Ameri that all the Allied forces would come in from the shortest distance, which was kind of the southeast part of England, and attack this part of France. You know, the shortest distance between point A and B, the least amount of water to cross. But they actually attacked further up north. I can't remember where it was, but this is where there were five spearheads, and there was Juno, Omaha. Uh, a few others, and of course, in Canadian history, we remember the one of Juno by calling our music awards the Juno Awards. Mm -hmm. So that's how important this battle was, and 
the American forces kind of had some blunders with the weather when they timed their attack with it kind of thing. The water being so, like the tide being a little higher and stuff like that than expected. Things didn't go quite as clockwork as they thought it would, so things went bad pretty quick and there was a lot of casualties. But through sheer determination and these guys just saying, you know what, if we're going to do this, we got to be willing to go all the way or we're never going to, you know, stop the, you know, the Nazis and, uh, or the Germans kind of thing. So that was an important taking and the, the, it, that's when the Allied forces began to take back France and take back all the countries on the western side of Europe. Yeah. But there was also another, after a little bit of that, they came up through the southern part of uh, in like after they fought a lot in the northern African countries and the deserts and stuff, they came up through uh, Italy. They started hitting Italy, their one of their main allies, and they you know this uh, attack slowly took away chunks of Italy that uh, eventually got to the point where they had to surrender. Now Germany had to actually surrender to the Allied forces in September eighth, nineteen forty three. Mm-hmm. Which was a pretty pivotal moment because that's when uh, a lot of the time, like, you know, the Italians kind of realized how, you know, they were starting to realize how bad everything was getting. Mm-hmm. And also, um, that kind of made it like a two pronged thing. Like, the, you know, you had them coming from the, like, Germans were looking at it. Like, we got these Allied forces coming from the West and we have them coming from the South and they've just chewed through Italy and all their treacherous mountainous terrain to get these their vehicles through and everything, they got through there. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a pivotal moment. Also, when, uh, but just to kind of take a little step back here, one of the most important interesting facts about uh, the, the war in the Eastern Front for Germany was kind of an interesting one because there was a lot of engineers and a lot of te- uh, people working on how to make better hardware for the military forces that they had. And... These guys, because normally before this, they had rifles that had, like, hunting rifles, you know, you bolt action them or whatever kind of thing, you fire one bullet and whatever, and it has, like, a very long, like, I think it's, like, a six, seven hundred yard range of, like, you can hit somebody with that, but it doesn't fire very fast and it's not very great for close quarter combat. Then you had the submachine gun, which is a pistol caliber uh, gun that fires at a full automatic, which is great for close quarter combat, but it's not yeah. really great for certain ranges. Right. So the Germans engineered the Sturmgewehr, or the assault rifle as it's known today, or they called it the storming rifle, which was kind of a hybrid between the submachine gun capable, fully automatic uh, pistol caliber, but almost like, but is had bigger caliber bullets and automatic capability closer to the uh, rifle that they were using. Mm-hmm. So when they created that, but Hitler saw the idea for it and thought, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard of. Scrap that idea and everything. So they actually named it something else and sent uh, these designs over into the troops that were t- attacking uh, the Russians. Right. And so when Hitler goes out there, he says, what do you guys need to win? And they show him the Sturmgewehr, the one, the gun that he told them that, hey, we need more of these. He was like, what, really? These things work? Like, these are what you guys need? And I was like, yeah, these things are pivotal. Like, these things have made it so we are far more effective and far more, you know, capable than most other fighting forces out there. 
yeah. and thus began the age of assault rifles. Yeah. But unfortunately, the slight advancements and creations were not enough to turn things their way. Right. And stuff. So, yeah. So, we've talked about Italy. Yep. So, Germany. Yes. We talked about them when they... Pretty thoroughly, I think. But, like, or... when they... We've talked about when they ended the war, right? Or when they surrendered. Uh, yeah. So, uh, let's see. Germany, if I remember correctly, it was May uh, 7th, 1945, is when they surrendered... Because despite the Battle of the Bulge, where it was the last main offensive that the Germans pushed into the Allied forces on the west, yeah, and they realized that it was just a complete like falling back kind of battle. They were not going to take any more territory. They had lost everything. They were completely outmanned, outgunned, and there was no stopping the advance of these Allied forces. Yeah. So. So Italy, nineteen forty-three. Surrendered. Yep. Germany, uh, 1945. May of 1945, yep. and that's when Hitler committed suicide. Yep. Um, in his bunker with Eva Braun. Yep. And whatnot. Um, and lots of the Nazis fled. High official Nazis fled. A lot of them... Yeah, a lot of them fled because they knew that uh, had they been caught... Or, you know, all, for all the atrocities they committed, that... Things were not going to end well for them. Yeah. And stuff. So then, the problem was, is the war wasn't over. No. Because Japan was still fighting. And so... Um, we're, guys, uh, the thing we record on, our, our app that we record on... It only gives us an hour <laughs> of time, and then we have to, like, start technically a new recording. So we're just going to take a second here and start a new recording. You guys won't really notice it. It might sound like a click. But we're just going to take a second, and we're going to do that. So just bear with us for... Plus, we need a washroom break. Yeah. So we'll just be... When... I mean, I could have not said anything, and you wouldn't have known, but... Yeah. You're being honest. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll be right back. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not doing a um, poltergeist reference, though. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so where we left off with um, the talk of, like, Germany surrendering in May 7th of 1945. Yeah. A lot of the German generals and commanders had been captured or had fl fl flown to wherever across the world. A lot of them ended up actually in South America. Yeah. And stuff. Um but, I mean, not all of them. Some of them ended up in America working as scientists there. Yep. Some that was a lot of the... Yeah, the Nazi scientists. Um, some of them got uh, taken to America. Some of them got taken to Russia. Yeah. And that's when we begin with the Manhattan Project. Yes. So the Manhattan Project was essentially a project of scientists who came together, were brought together, I should say, by the government to make the atomic bomb. Now, this is also a scientific um, progression for the world because uh, this is the beginning of yes. essentially the change of warfare as we know it forever, yeah. where no two superpowers can ever go face-to-face -face again because of the chance and threat of nuclear war. Yes. And 
Um, there were definitely some very pro predominant scientists that worked on it. Einstein. Uh, yeah, he came up with a theory about it and everything long before any of these scientists did. Yeah, but he worked on it. Yeah, he created the fundamental theories behind it that a lot of these scientists progressed. Right, and stuff. Um, and I know I had read an article one time where I believe it was Einstein and a few other of the scientists uh, whose names slipped me at the moment who said that they actually wished that they could go back in time. And not create it. And not create it because, again, it it could destroy the world, right? And yeah. that's not something that they were comfortable with having put forth into the world, essentially, right? Yeah, put it into the hands of madmen, essentially. But it was created, and it was used twice, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so... The Americans, um, now, when they were fighting the Japanese, and essentially, I don't think there was too much in the way of Canadian help in this fight, uh, because we didn't really have quite the naval con uh, construction abilities. Um, I don't think we really even had uh, too many boats on the West Coast. <clears throat> so, the, it was just basically America and Japan slugging it out uh, out in the ocean and doing island hopping. Now, the island hopping is some of the most dangerous warfare that, short of the fighting that happened in Stalingrad, that <clears throat> uh, the people get on these boats, they motorboat their way to the island with the cover of artillery and all the stuff from the battle cruisers, make it to shore, fight these entrenched Japanese soldiers that were there, and, you know, step by step, try to fight uh, people off the islands. Yeah. And, of course, this can get very, um, you know, gruesome. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as they were taking the islands, um, the island of, and I believe um, it was the island of Iwo Jima. Mm -hmm. And that was actually one where the Americans were planting their flag on while they were still fighting. Like, the yeah. classic symbol of them, I think it was four men putting the flag on the top of the island. Uh, while combat was still being fought. Yeah. And, like, that was, I think, essentially the last island that they took, and they kind of were, like, realizing that the numbers of men and that they lost fighting this war, uh, even though they had their code talkers, they had all kinds of tactics uh, helping them uh, to make it less, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, how, to, how to describe it, Less brutal and less uh, bloodshed for their forces as possible, but mm -hmm. you know these the Japanese had built tunnels and all these entrenches to make it so that way the Americans have to get in there and have to you know fight on very dirty terms to take the islands. Yeah, and when you say the Americans, you mean the Allies because Britain <clears throat> and Canada were a part of this fight because like after Germany surrendered after Germany surrendered. Surrendered on the 8th of May. Um, or 7th of May. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's all apples and bananas, really, right? Like, <laughs> one day or the other, but it was still May of 1945. Yeah, and stuff. Then, essentially, the Allies turned all their attention to Taking Japan. On, yeah. And stuff. Um, but Russia was not a part of that. No, they In didn't. the beginning, anyway. They were not a part of that. So, 
Sorry, just I would just wanted to clarify that when you were saying the Americans, you actually meant the Allies. Yeah, no, it's just mostly Americans were yeah. fighting out there, and um, <clears throat> so yeah, there was like the and a good movie to like two good movies I recommend people watch to for the historical importance of it uh, of those of the island hopping as I call it um, is Hacksaw Ridge. Um, yeah, that Andrew Hacksaw Ridge? Hacksaw Ridge with Andrew Garfield and um, what's his name? The guy that played the yeah, you may you saw that movie Hacksaw Ridge with the pacifist or yes, cautious I've seen it. Yeah, but I literally did not realize that was about the island hopping. Yeah, no, well, it wasn't like fully about the island hopping, but it was about this guy who I thought that was World War One. That was World War Two. No, I thought the movie was set in World War One. I, I mean, oh, okay. No, it just felt like World War One because they weren't using assault rifles. Because a lot of people assume that World War Two had a lot of assault rifles, but most assault rifles weren't created until the very, very end of World War Two. And then, you know, like the Storm Gewehr, uh, the AK forty-seven, they weren't created until the end of it. And then it started becoming more of a common thing to have assault rifles with troops rather than full-on, like long rifles. Yeah. So Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge is a really good one to, you know, uh, show the, you know, the horrible dark side of like how like you you see these battleships just artillerying the islands so hard you see all these shells hitting the land and just blowing it up and you think these guys are looking up at the ridge and seeing all the shells hit and blowing up that they're just going, you know, it's like man no one could survive up there. And one guy says, they can. Yeah. Because, like, that's how entrenched they were. Like, that's how well their tunnels were, that they knew that the Americans would bomb them or hit them with these artillery guns, and they couldn't really fight back with their own battle cruisers. But if you're entrenched enough, enough dirt between you and where the shell goes off, you're going to be fine. Sure, your hearing might be a little off, but yeah. you're going to survive. And what was the second movie? Uh, Wind Talkers, which is, is to commemorate the indigenous uh, people who helped uh, during, World War World War, during World War II that sent codes from one ship to the other or to troops on the ground. Um, so this way when the Japanese like heard the messages because they were expecting to hear English, but then they heard these, the indigenous people talking in their dialect, if that's the appropriate way to describe it, um, they couldn't make heads or tails of it. Yeah. So they were essentially like, they were able to relay messages without too much fear of their messages being, um, deciphered. Yeah. And, uh, I just wanted to point out in that too, like we do plan on doing an entire episode. Yes. On Code Talkers. We're a little nervous about it because neither one of us are indigenous. Yeah. And so we really want to make sure that we are using, again, right terminology. And if we don't. We absolutely apologize. We do not mean any disrespect by any means. We're just idiots, essentially. <laughs> yeah, because like, there's so many terms where it's like, okay, is this a proper term or is this not? Like I said, like saying in, uh, people of, of uh, the indigenous nation, is that appropriate or not? Yeah, because like one of the things that we wanted to kind of point out just here today is that a lot of people thought that it was just one indigenous uh, group. Yeah. Uh, the Nav Navajo. Yeah. That were code talkers, but there was actually at least 14 more. Yeah, and not to, di like, there's just, I, th I think the Navajo are just the most uh, infamous among it, because they were probably the most pivotal. I think they were also the first brought into the war. 
Yeah, perhaps? so that's kind of one of the cases of we don't really know, but we want to pay our respect and we want to make sure we get this as accurate as possible. Absolutely, and we're obviously, before we do an episode on Code Talkers, we will do our research and as much due diligence into paying the respect that is deserved. Is, yes, absolutely, and stuff. But um, I also have a movie recommendation. Mm-hmm. It's one, uh, I believe it was just called the... Sorry, uh, The Battle of Iwo Jima? Yep. Um, that's a movie that will obviously go through that battle. Yeah. And stuff, and give people just a little bit more on what you were talking about there and stuff. Yes. So, of course, like, again, this is where it's like we couldn't do every single war to pay respect to the troops that have fought in every war uh, for freedom and, you know, uh, our our nation liberties. And, and liberties yeah. without uh, like trying to put them all into one episode would just be completely disrespectful. And even trying to cover just certain things that happened during World War Two in the depth it deserves is not possible. Yeah. We, would be, we could be here for six hours talking about it for real. And we won't put you guys uh, <laughs> through that kind of thing. We will space it out. We'll, we'll yeah. put other episodes in, but we will eventually cover it. We will eventually pay our respects. And, yes. you know, so not to sound like uh, we're going to be fixated on that for uh, our next few episodes or anything. It is something yeah, that's gonna, in the woodworks. Yes. And we'll break it up because obviously we do have research to do on certain topics and stuff like that. But getting back to it. So when they kind of looked at the uh, Battle of Iwo Jima and all the islands that they had taken, they realized that the toll, the cost of human life to take the main island of Japan would be so astronomically atrocious that it was not acceptable, like it was not even considered a like an idea to keep on the table of what they're going to do. Right. So they came up with an alternative. Now, a lot of people assume that it was the dropping of the nukes and everything, but the nukes were only just the final tipping point. They actually used incendiary carpet bombing techniques mm-hmm. to... Because all the houses there were made out of, and this is, of course, from, like, way back when, using uh, bamboo that had been, you know, dried out and everything. So all the houses were, like, uh, kindling. Very dry, very easy to light up and went up in seconds. Yeah. So the Japanese people, when they were bombed with these incendiaries, not just explosives, but actually things that set things on fire, Mm -hmm. a lot of cities and a lot of towns were set ablaze quite yeah. rapidly so that was quite a hard hit but the japanese still refused to re- uh, surrender to uh, in the name of their emperor yes um until the americans went all right well let's drop the fat man and the little boy yeah and just to be clear they were two different kinds of bombs yes so the fat man was a plutonium implosion type nuclear weapon yep and the little boy was an enriched uranium gun type fission weapon yes and we will definitely be doing an episode on the atomic bombings of hiroshima and nagasaki yep so therefore we will go more into that and what that means then but just so you guys know two different kinds of bombs um so the united states decided on august 6th yep and august 9th that they were going to bomb Hiroshima. Yep. 
And Nagasaki. And Nagasaki. Yes. And I'm trying to say it properly because I don't usually say Hiroshima. Yeah. I say Hiroshima. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but so. I've gotten slack in the past from that, so I'm trying to say it properly. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. And it, those were respective. So they bombed. They bombed Hiroshima first. Yes, and they bombed it August 6th. And then three days later, they bombed Nagasaki. Which actually, they missed. Yes. They missed it, but the, the, that, wasn't, that wasn't the good news. The, the, or like the, I guess you could say that was, kind of like that was actually the worst thing that could have happened because it was the nuclear fallout from that bomb that started getting people sick and giving them cancers. And yeah. you know, like they actually started to realize how bad nuclear bombs are for not dying instantly from them. Yeah. So it's kind of one of those, if you're lucky, you'll die in the split second the nuke goes off. Yeah, right. Now, also be clear that they had to get the consent of the United Kingdom to do this bombing, right? They had given Japan an ultimatum. Japan. <laughs> I know, I said it weird. <laughs> yeah, you did. But I, it's, uh, yeah. She, she gets a little tongue-tied sometimes. Sometimes I stutter That's a bit. why she uh, really apologizes a lot for pronunciations. Yeah, I'm not, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> not college you, educated here. You, you're you're not perfect. You admit it. <laughs> yeah, um, but they did. Um, they gave them basically an ultimatum to unconditional surrender. Yep. Japan was like, ah, uh, no. Right. So they got. They had to. They were required to get consent from the United Kingdom because those were the other. That was the other nation, right? That was at war with Japan at the time with them as their ally. And um, it's something called the Quebec Agreement, mm -hmm. where they actually had to get permission uh, from Great Britain, or, sorry, the United Kingdom, to um, drop these bombs. Yeah. And it was given to them. So, like we said, they dropped the bombs. And I highly recommend watching a movie called uh, Enola Gay. Yep, which is the name of the aircraft that uh, dropped the bombs. Yeah. Um, it is a movie that goes into it. I remember watching it as a kid. I haven't seen it in many years. But I do remember that it was pretty accurate. Um, at least that was my understanding of it. And then I also highly recommend watching a movie that's called Twice Survived. It's on Netflix. Yep. And it is actually about a man who survived both bombings. That is some pretty horrible luck. Yes. Uh, he. I don't want to give too much... Well, I mean, there's not much to give away. It's historical. But um, he was in Hiroshima for work when, the first, when that bomb was dropped on August 6th. Yep. And then he... His, to, uh, no, his family was in, he, like, he came from Nagasaki. Yeah. Right, that was where he lived. So, he was injured, but he wasn't, like, horribly injured, I guess, from the bombing. Yeah. So, he... Was sent back home. Wasn't sent back home. There was no one to send him back home, but he went back home. Yeah. And he literally walked into the office of his workplace... And said, you're never going to believe what happened. And then saw the bright light of the bombing of Nagasaka. Na Na oh, Nagasaki. 
Jesus, I'm sorry. Yes, Nagasaki. <laughs> Gosh darn it. Again, she uh, gets a little tongue-tied sometimes. So. Yeah, and stuff. <clears throat> but it's a very interesting story, and it definitely, I definitely highly recommend watching that. Now, here's an interesting fact about the Enola Gay that I was told um, in regards to the pilot who flew the, flew the uh, Enola Gay to drop those two bombs. Because mm -hmm. these bombs had never been dropped before, but they had an idea of how destructive they were. They told the pilot to reach his maximum cruising altitude. Yep. And then when you drop that bomb, you do a 180 and punch that engine as hard as you can and fly back because this is going to be a big boom. Yeah. And so, of course, like he didn't really know like how bad this was going to be, but he took their advice very seriously. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's like just the. Could you imagine how white knuckled you, that pilot must have been no. on, on either of those bombings? Because like thinking like the whole, you know, it's like the first one probably like I don't know how bad this is gonna be, but I'm gonna get as safely as far away as I can, and just yeah. like seeing that big mushroom cloud behind you, or if he could see it, or just feeling the shockwave of that, because yeah. like when you get it, if I, if you ever see an aerial view of one of those going off, the clouds move so rapidly, it's yeah, like it, just the shockwave that goes out. So, there's that case there, and, you know, it's just, that must have been, like, a really dark moment. Yeah. And, like, could you imagine, like, how dark the veil must have been for that guy? Because, and speaking of how dark and how much the veil can be, let's uh, take a quick moment to talk about our favorite podcast, The Dark Veil. Ah, yes. It is our favorite. John and Tori do an amazing job. Yeah, uh, they talk about uh, the darker side of things and take a little peek behind the veil. Yep. They cover all kinds of things. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard us talking about uh, the creatures of the deep, the... Uh, what's his name? Baggins? Um, Zach Baggins. Zach Baggins. I keep thinking of Zach Baggins, but I feel like that's wrong. But <laughs> and They also cover things like... Uh, his, uh, the history of people's uh, prisoners' last meals um, before their death sentences. Yep. They also have recently done Jeffrey Dahmer. They did an episode about Cain's uh, jawbone, which is very interesting. It's a puzzle book, if you will, that only three people in history have ever solved. Wow. Yeah. Um, they go into the history of the Amber Alert. And how uh, that came about. Yep. Uh, it's all very interesting. They um, they do a great job. <clears throat> and we highly recommend you listen to them. Yeah. Um, you guys can also get a hold of them on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, Dark Veil with John and Tori. Yeah, that's a good way to get a hold of them. And yeah, we recommend uh, checking them out for all the cool content that they release. And they do as much research as they can, and like they try to be as accurate as possible. Yep. And Just they like we want to be. <laughs> yep, and they release every Monday. And they're on, like, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Spotify, Anchor. Uh, Pretty much majority of uh, yeah. uh, podcast uh, streaming services you can get. So check them out. So, okay. Okay. So... That pretty much covered that uh, beginning all the way up to the end of where, how the World War Two got started. Essentially, the bitter, bloody end of the fall of Italy, yep. Germany, and 
Japan? Yeah, so Japan surrendered on August 15th, which was six days after the Soviet Union declared war on them. Yeah. And also the bombing of Nagasaki, right? Yeah, being crippled that hard and knowing that another superpower was going to be coming bearing down on them. Yeah. The Japanese people felt that they could not withstand that and they, all of them, on the day that they surrendered unconditionally, they apologized to the emperor for failing him. Yeah, well, so they surrendered on August 15th, but they didn't sign the instrument of surrender until September 2nd. So. Yeah, no, no, like, it, it was one of those things where it's like, um, it didn't happen just boom, 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 instantaneously. Well, they had to draw up the... Yeah, they had to write down and uh, declare that they had surrendered and that they will not they will not fight anymore and stuff like that. And then that's when history starts getting into things like the Cold War and stuff. Yeah. But that does it for World War II, I believe, unless there was something you wanted to add. Well, I just wanted to take a minute, like, my grandpa fought in World War II. Yes. And... Pay our respects. Yeah, you know, um, like, I know in our family, you, you just, you didn't ask him about it, right? Like, you didn't talk about it and stuff. I wish, and it's possible that some of my, like, aunts or whatever might have it. I know my uncle has, like, my grandpa's medals. Yep. And stuff like that. But, um, I would like to definitely know more about it. But, again, it just wasn't something you talked about. Um, how about you? Did you have any family fight? Uh, no, uh, not that I'm aware of. But, uh, my granddad and my nana, or grandma, mm -hmm. as some people would call her, um, she, they were both kids in England back when the bombing of England, uh, London or England was happening. Mm. And so they grew up as kids with that kind of thing and so you got to think like how much that like toughens people up and yeah. So so also I think a thing we should do even though it's late and I mean you guys obviously don't have to join on. We did do it on Remembrance Day, but I think we should take a moment of silence. The 2 minutes of silence that they take on Remembrance Day. Yeah. Just to remember all around the world, like all the veterans who have lost their lives, you know, for the liberties and freedoms for their countries and others. So, uh, yeah, we're going to do that right now.
<clears throat> Sorry about that air freshener being so rude. <laughs> it's like inan inanimate objects have no feelings or something. Exactly. So, yeah, thanks for bearing with us. I know this one was like a little bit longer than normal, but... We wanted to pay our respects properly, and we still feel like that we didn't quite cover the subject as yeah. well as we wanted to, but we also didn't want to put out a six-hour-long episode. Absolutely. And one of the things I'm going to do um, is in the show notes is I'm going to try and hopefully remember every movie that we suggested and put that in the show notes so that if you guys want to go and look, the list will be there of movies that we recommend watching that cover, you know, certain aspects of the war. So... We thank you very much for listening. We thank you very much for taking your time to do that. Um, we thank all the veterans yep. who have fought for us. Mm -hmm. And that. And we'll never forget those who went off and have never come home. Yeah, the sacrifice to allow us the freedoms that we... Have to make this podcast for you guys. Yeah, and just in our lives, we absolutely appreciate. And we absolutely appreciate you guys. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah, and like that old saying goes, freedom's never free. Exactly. So um thank you everybody so much. I'm going to say something I'm going to say this before I say the outro before I get choked up and everything cuz it really uh tugs at the heartstrings to think about all those who never came back. Yeah. Um it hurts me it hit, it hits me deeply. But anyways, <clears throat> remember guys, no matter what your thing is or what you're into, at the end of the day, we're all just a little nerdy. <laughs>